spoiler alert. This podcast discusses episode five of Westworld, season three. Hope is what our entire society is built on. False. Hope. I would rather live in chaos than a world controlled by you. Westward. The Westworld podcast from Sky Atlantic. Ground control to Major Tom. It's time to leave your capsule if you dare. I'm Laura Laverne and this is the genre-switching personality editing throat-punching fan show Westward, the official Westworld fan show from Sky Atlantic. Always challenging their fans, this week Westworld hit trippy new heights as Caleb took a journey through genres while Dolores freed society from the clutches of the system. So if you found yourself wondering why the heck Caleb was struggling with black and white panic attacks while retro music soundtracked his hallucinations, then hey, you've come to the right place for your weekly treatment of analysis. The answer was teased in last week's episode. Did you spot it? This should make you more open-minded. They call it genre. Digital psychopharma hybrid, brand new. Hits your implant and your bloodstream. Sends you straight to the silent era and back. Jamie East pointed out in our last podcast that this episode was called Genre and Westworld went literal with that title to take us on a stylistic trip like we've never seen before. We counted five genres and here to help us analyse them is our very special guest, a woman who fans know and love as Tonks from Harry Potter, Osher the Wildling from Game of Thrones and we can look forward to seeing her in a forthcoming episode of The Mandalorian in the UK in the coming weeks. It's the wonderful Natalia Tenner. Hello, how are you? Hello. Hello, Lauren. Thank you for inviting me on the show. You're somewhere quite special, I understand. Where are you today? I am on my canal boat. Uh, (gasps) I'm very lucky in this pandemic uh, that I've got a roof deck and I can do self-isolation in motion if I choose, uh, which is wonderful. Yeah. Um, And yeah, there is a sense of community. I've parked myself in front of my boat wife, uh, one of my best friends, so we can kind of have drinks on our roof terraces and shout at each other from from a distance. (laughs) (laughs) That's the dream. Distant shouting and roof drinks. I mean, you're talking my language. Um, So, Natalia, before we start digging into the detail of this week's episode, what did you make of it generally? What was your reaction to it? Oh, it was absolutely amazing. I'm so glad that we're talking about this particular episode because it felt like a kind of key moment in the whole season. I mean, all the rest of it was great as well, but this suddenly just did a shift for me. And and it was very explosive what happens at the end and obviously the genres mm. <laughs> as someone that loves film and music was were wonderful. A lot of fun to kind of scamper through a load of those. So uh, yeah, well, let's dig into it. Uh, let's go through exactly what happened when Caleb got dosed with a trip to the silent era and back. Shit, man. I know what you want. Genre. It's like five drips in one. Movie marathon. Hey, watch out for that last act, though. Liam Dempsey Jr. was given the digital psychopharma hybrid called Genre by his friend at that weird party from last week, you'll remember that. And this week, he weaponized it, sending Caleb on a freaky black and white film noir trip, complete with an orchestral score. All right, let's have a little canter through the genres that Caleb experienced. Let's count them off. So we start off with Ride of the Valkyries, oh. Richard Wagner. That piece of music. Did you recognise the reference when it came in? As soon as it went black and white, I was like, oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, when the music comes in, da, 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 I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. 
this episode made me laugh a lot because every few moments I look at him, it's like, let's just remember he's high. You know, yeah. everything's happening. <laughs> Someone's just given him a huge gun. Out of the kind of top of a car, just going around the <laughs> yeah. corner. I mean, poor yeah. Caleb, really. I, I felt like that it was a war moment. Mm. And obviously at that moment, that's when he's just being handed over so much ammunition. Okay. Ride of the Valkyries, Richard Wagner, features in the classic Francis Ford Coppola movie, Apocalypse Now, this explosive oh. scene, you know, where the, the cavalry of attack helicopters overpower that small village community. Mm-hmm. So the first genre is war. Next up, you see Caleb gazing adoringly towards the gun-toting Dolores and another piece of piano music kicked in at that point, Natalia. I don't know if you noticed that. I think at that point I was just laughing at him. I was like, oh God, no, no, not another one. And it all went, it he, went a bit soft-focused, didn't it? And she's literally shooting everyone and he's literally having a moment. He's looking at her with... Just such love. Exactly. And, and I kind of kind of got lost in that because it made me it made me laugh a lot. So I don't know what what film. No, is you've that? nailed it. You've nailed it. So the second genre, romance, oh. and that piano music that kicked in is the theme from Love Story, the 1970 classic. So that was all in there to discover. <gasps> of course. <laughs> Oh, how did I not get that? (laughs) Well, after that, you heard a little bit of slinky Iggy Pop, nightclubbing, um, a classic track from Iggy uh, from his album The Idiot. That features in a slightly more recent film, actually. It's a 1996 movie that introduces our next genre. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is kind of when it all went a little bit hyper real, really bright, really colourful. Did you get that one? Yeah, it's when they're going through the tube, right? Yeah. All the doors just go open and they look really cool, just swishing through. That is a reference to Danny Boyle's train spotting, telling us that we are embarking on a little bit of black comedy, which definitely, you know, you you spotted that in in the mood. Like Mm -hmm. you said, by this point, you just know that they're kind of having fun with it, the showrunners, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. This must have been such a fun episode to write. It's like, right, we want to reference all those things that we love and we're going to shoehorn it into this fantastic episode, which has so many other things happening around it as well, but allowing that to flow through it. And then we heard Space Oddity by David Bowie, the kind of orchestral version of that track. Bit of a double whammy, that one. There are two film references that that track features in. It appeared in Love You Till Tuesday, which is a short film from 1969 about David Bowie. But the main reference, I think, has to be Stanley Kubrick's 2001 um, A Space Oddity from 1968, the film that inspired Space Oddity and, no doubt, the creators of Westworld. I mean, an all-time classic so that tells us that we are in science fiction Mm sci-fi for our fourth genre natalia what did you make of of that part of the uh, episode that that's the bit when i was kind of trying to focus back in the storyline because i was getting so sidetracked by the genres but i think at that point i was like actually what's what's going on that was the bit when they when when was that bit that was at the end right yes at the end it's when uh caleb is is going well where are we now what genre is this i think he says at one point yeah 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 yeah. and uh ash's compadre giggles says this is reality (laughs) yeah yeah. i was trying i think at that point i was with him i was like what is going on you know there's always those moments in westworld where it's like ah i'm i'm getting lost with you but then i find myself Oh, there it is. Okay, I get the story now. I think that's kind of part of the pleasure of it is is running to catch up and uh, and enjoying that a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's also another Kubrick reference in the scene where they were walking on the beach under the pier, and um, the place that Caleb, you will remember, is meant to kill himself. We saw that a few episodes ago, mm-hmm. and there is another familiar theme that plays in the background. It's actually the theme from The Shining. <gasps> 
Of course. Yeah, I, you know, I did think it was horror. There was such a sense of fear and panic and the actors really uh, transmitted that beautifully. So, yeah. Oh, good. I can't, I'm glad I got that. I didn't get the reference, but I was like, this is the horror moment, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. Our fifth genre is horror. I mean, Natalia, as well as being an actor, you're in the band Molotov Jukebox mm. and you play a pretty mean accordion. <laughs> what do you make of all of those kind of music references, classic covers, all the fun that they have with the score and soundtrack in, in Westworld? <sighs> I think they must have had so much fun in the research. Yeah. Just sitting there all together. Which one are we going to do? Who? Which film? Okay, let's watch, let's rewatch that film and see what that's like. Uh, yeah, as a musician, I actually love the theme tune. Mm-hmm. The theme tune is great. And in fact, because I've got a small dog, me and my boyfriend, we've been watching so much of it that we've actually just been singing along with it. Like, such a tiny dog, such a tiny dog, such a tiny dog. <laughs> just to, That's now... That is in my head every time I walk my dog now. Such a tiny dog. Such a <laughs> tiny dog. I love it. I love it. Whoever did that was brilliant. Do you know what? We need to get the uh, the fans on the Facebook page, the <laughs> people who who join us on the Facebook fan page, to tell us if they have their own lyrics to the Westworld theme yeah. tune, because I guess everybody does. It's, again, it's, while, part, it's like... part of the joy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So recently, I've just watched all of them. Yeah. Um, again, it was such a pleasure. What I love about the music is that they reference songs. So I think... Back to Black is at one point playing in, in the Sweetwater Brothel, and I, I loved that. Absolutely, Amy Winehouse. This season so far, we've had uh, 99 Red Balloons by Nena, which is, you know, a kind of dystopian uh, classic and actually is about nuclear war, which, you know, in the context of this week's episode is very interesting because, you know, we're, we're finding out more about Shurak's backstory, which we'll come to, mm-hmm. and, you know, the destruction of a city. Uh, Common People by Pulp, Wicked Games by The Weeknd. Yes! I mean, I'm just thrilled that they closed this week's episode with Fisher Spooners Emerge. I think I'm the only person who remembers <laughs> the, the short, cold summer of Electro Clash around about 2002. I, I no, but I actually did dance around the room to it. I was like, this is great. Like, I was so excited. The episode, I was like, this is a great episode. I was like, what is this song? It's a seriously, seriously underrated track. Um, all right, enough about music. Back to this week's episode now. And here's another spot that we've been arguing about. So during the scene under the pier, when Lena Waithe's character, Ash, shoots Liam Dempsey Jr., do we, at that point, discover that Caleb is not the good guy we all thought he was? Tell me who I am. I killed your friend. What did you see? Who are you people? What did you see? Get away from me! They thing. You did it. What? You did it. So remember Francis from episode one, that's Caleb's friend from whom he unsubscribed. Did you spot the very brief flashback to Francis as Caleb was trying to stop Liam from bleeding out? So he's kind of pressing down on his wounds when he's in the surf. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Liam, in his almost his dying breath, he says, you did it. So according to the system, Caleb was responsible for murdering his friend. <gasps> I mean, is that what we appear to be discovering here? What do you think? You know what's actually very interesting is I couldn't actually make out what, what those last words were. And I thought it was, you didn't do it. Uh, oh, what? Wait, what? <laughs> Don't do this to me, Natalia. I rewound that several times, so I was clear on it. <laughs> so what's he saying? He's so breathy. You're dying. Speak clearly. <laughs> Enunciate through death, please. <laughs> But no, he he definitely said you did it. We we can confirm that. But what do you reckon? I mean, can we trust him? Even if that's what the system says, is that necessarily the truth? I mean, I, I don't really tr- trust that system. I think maybe indirectly mm. he was 
culpable for his friend's death, but yeah. I don't think directly. I mean, it's interesting, all of this that we're discovering about Caleb, though. I think, obviously, he seems like a pretty stand-up guy, or at least he has so far. But, of course, nothing's ever that clear-cut in Westworld, is it? I don't know. I feel like he's kind of in the same group as um, Sarak's brother. You know, mm-hmm. at the end, when he, when he gets on the plane in episode five and he says, I'm not the same either. I don't think I'm the same as other people. Maybe he's just one of these people that doesn't quite fit. You know, they're they're too random for the system to predict. Yeah, he's an outlier, absolutely. Um, So before we leave Liam behind and say goodbye to him, tragically, Mm -hmm. did you spot the T-shirt that he was wearing? I mean, obviously absolutely ruined by the end of the episode, but it did have the word basic written on it, Liam's T-shirt. Yeah, I did. And I, I was like, why... Why is he wearing this shirt? Also, hasn't he just come from a party? I I, I was very confused by that yeah. T-shirt. I think I can shed some light on it. Oh, come on. Okay, let me hook you up, okay? So obviously, it's not just a diss about him being incredibly basic. <laughs> the coders out there will know that basic stands for Beginner's All-Purpose Symbolic Instruction Code. It's computer programming language developed in the 60s to write simple computer programs. So maybe Dolores was trying to imply that Liam was just a basic, simple human? Definitely. She definitely thinks that. Yeah. She's got very little time for humans, doesn't she? Apart from Caleb. Well, it's not just his clothes who tell us something about character. We've seen Dolores go through some incredible transformations uh, in her wardrobe as well as her character. Jamie East got on the line with costume designer Shay Cunliffe to talk about the beautiful styles of season three. Westward. Welcome to Westward. Shay Cunliffe, how are you? Great. Congratulations on a great job. Those costumes are fantastic. Thank you. Well, it, it took an army. I, I had a fabulous team. Did Jonah go as far as making mood boards to work from? How did he relay his and Lisa's thoughts on your remit? My first meeting with Jonah, there weren't any scripts to read. He just talked me through the very abstract arc of what this new world was going to be like. I knew that Jonah absolutely did not want to copy the broad futures of Star Trek. He also, although he loves Blade Runner, he absolutely didn't want to give a nod to that. And thinking it through, I realized we we were the near future and I realized that most people's need to carry things on them had gotten less. There's no more having to schlep a handbag around. I imagine. Imagine that. <laughs> yes, it's all it's all like magically in your clothing, which in fact is true if you start Googling what kind of tech clothing can I buy. They're working on clothing that responds to body temperature to make you comfortable. And you can already buy sporty clothes that are all geared to wire your tech up in seamless little pockets. So it, it's already upon us. We just haven't availed ourselves of it fully yet. Let's let's talk about Dolores. She is the uh, the nucleus and the heartbeat of the show. How much fun has it been to hold this particular baton of Dolores, where she's gone from farm girl to a kind of modern biker jacket wearing woman? Evan is a, a dream to dress and also a dream to work with. My guiding light was that in the first episode or two, she's playing a part of the billionaire's eye candy girlfriend. Yes, she's 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 undercover. Yes. Talk to us a little bit about that fantastic and beautiful transformation in episode one when Dolores switches from the black mini uh, to the cocktail dress in a second. Oh, that, that was my most fun costume I have ever 
had to to create. I loved that side of theatrical clothes. Not needed usually in film because you just stop the cameras and go do your change. I said, if she's allowed to put a hand on this dress, I can make it happen. It's not that complicated, but it's dependent on the cut of the dress and the fabric being a weight that will behave just the way you want it to. So we did it first on a mannequin and just ran up and pulled the dress and let it do its thing. And it was clear immediately that it was going to work. That was unbelievable relief. I bet that was a great moment. Yes. And then we got the first prototype on Evan and took it from there. She had a tendency to look down at it, to check. And I was like, no, no, you just got to keep looking forward. Do not look at it. It's going to work for you. Don't worry. It's going to work. You do nothing but give a good hard yank on your neckline. And it was just incredible. The crew burst into applause. It was a real pleasure of like three in the morning, painful all night shoot. And you can actually surprise the guys. Amazing. You know, as the costume designer, I'm always terrified when the leading lady walks in in a dress and it's supposed to be a showstopper. And meanwhile, I'm, I'm always standing on the set like, oh, my God, look at how much effort they went to on this set. Look what they built. And it's all about the dress. Yeah. Oh, God. Yes, <laughs> Amazing. What a great story, Shay. Now, Lauren, our host, uh, has been dying for me to ask you a question about Dolores' incredible ear cuffs that she's been wearing this season. Well, those specific accessories more came from the prop guy, who uh, Richie Kramer, who's incredible. But... It was, I sort of really just Googled all kind of cuffs that existed. I knew the aesthetic. Did you get them off Etsy? You know, I think he may have. I don't know because I <laughs> sent a lot of, I sent a lot of images along and said that I think these kind of things would look good with the clothes we're doing. We know that Jonah likes minimalism. So that was like, don't get too fancy on this. Yeah. I sent along a bunch of images that where it looped all the way around the shape of the ear. And that was like, no, no, that's too much. I was a little sorry about that. But so I, he procured them and it may well have been something as simple as that. Listen, Shay, thank you so, so much for this chat. It's been enlightening. It's been interesting. I love talking to people with such a passion for their job and such a talent. And, oh, and it's been a joy you. to watch. And you have brought so much to this season. Thank you for joining us on Westward. Oh, and actually, Jamie, I feel bad. There's one thing I'm not sure you have picked up on in the costume. Oh, no. Wow, no. Right, okay, let's go. Right. And it, and it was the most direct um, request I got on doing the costumes. And that was a request in 304 to put tiny touches of blue on all the Dolores. Ah. On all of them, you know, Connell's. So and all the Dolores, we, we call them Dolores. The Dolores, exactly. So they've all got a touch of blue in. The signs were there for us all. Yes, but I think that's been missed. Would you? Can you remember whereabouts? Where do we need to go back and look? Well, you know, Connell's in, in 304 has a pale blue shirt on. Yeah. Uh, Sato has a blue striped shirt and a very, very dark blue suit. The jacket, he kicks off his shoulders and then you see this blue striped shirt. Charlotte Hale, yeah, she shows up to get the man in black and she's got a dark navy pinstripe suit on. Ah. And I don't know if you can see it, but Dolores is actually wearing like a little blue earring. See, it's, it's things like this. It's the thought that's gone into every single detail, which is what makes Westworld such a joy to watch. Amazing. Westward, the Westworld podcast 
from Sky Atlantic. Thank you, Jamie. I'm already online searching for ear cuffs. Need more in my life. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> uh, Jamie's going to be back later when he analyses a major theory that's doing the rounds, and it's all to do with symmetry and the mirror world. Back to episode five, though, and there are two main storylines this week. Uh, the story of Caleb tripping out on genre, which we've talked about a bit already, and the origin story of Chirac and his brother, who Chirac describes as sui generis, Latin for of its own kind or unique. My brother and I charted a course for the entire human race. Humanity's story had been improvised. Now it was planned. We brought order from chaos. All right, so Natalia, here's Mm. an algorithm for you. Evil genius plus exceptional wealth equals not great for humanity. No. I mean, it's a bit worrying, isn't it? It's, you know, (sighs) he he obviously starts off with good intentions, but it pretty quickly gets out of hands. Well, you know, uh, absolute power corrupts everyone, absolutely. You know, that kind of idea that he is trying to do well, he is trying to control the world because he's gone through a hugely traumatic experience. And I can see where he's coming from. Like you said, it's this is what's great about Westworld, that mm. you can kind of see the good and bad in every single character. And with him, he feels very panicky. He's got that watch which changes. Did you see that watch? You know that moment? Oh, yeah. So it's, I did that, notice that watch. Does that mean soon when the revolution happens, which I think is going to happen, is it going to turn black? It's a very important image, that, isn't it? And we see it in the kind of uh, title imagery and yes. in, in those little kind of interstitial screens. And it, it appears to be showing us some sort of unrest. It's a monitor, isn't it? Oh, yeah. He's monitoring what the, you know, the, the behaviour of humanity, this disturbance that keeps being referred to in the graphics of the show. Or maybe his, his, his inability to predict stuff. You know, that this is the area of the earth that we can't predict anymore. This is the percentage of we don't know what the hell's going on. It looks like an eclipse, that image, doesn't it? It Mm -hmm. looks like a solar eclipse, you know, with this kind of white circle and the black outline. It's beautiful that it keeps happening, yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely telling us that that all is not well by the end of this episode. (laughs) Yeah. After our exposure, we were both put on anti-radiation medications to halt our genetic breakdown. That's when I understood. It's possible to edit people. We see that he was experimenting on his own brother. I mean, obviously, we saw Chirac kill Liam Dempsey Sr., which we probably weren't too sad about because he was a pretty bad egg. Mm-hmm. But do you think that he did away with his brother too? I feel like maybe his brother, because he edited him and changed him so much, which is, again, a theme that happens throughout Westworld. Dolores does it to Teddy. She changes him. Again, kind of questioning freedom and, and you know, the rights that we have over other people. I think he changes his brother... And maybe his brother has killed himself. Right, Okay. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Chirac, all about controlling the future, but then consistently discovering that it's actually impossible to do so. And and as you say, you know, Natalia, we've always got these outliers who actually you can't keep hold of. And and we see Mm -hmm. that, the eclipse on the watch that he's wearing, order eclipsing chaos for now, but it seems to be Mm -hmm. breaking down. Now, as you mentioned, some of the visual imagery that we've seen in season three, and it's been absolutely loaded with visual imagery this season. We've seen lots of circles, lots of reflections, lots of symmetry and this has led some fans to craft a major fan theory about what we're actually looking at. Here's Jamie to break it down. He's got the lowdown for us on The Mirror World. Westward, the Westworld podcast from Sky Atlantic. Now, as we already know, every minute detail in Westworld is chosen strategically and for a reason. 
The creators are always trying to give us clues to help us problem-solve this brilliant piece of puzzle TV. In the first episode of the podcast, I talked to you about this season's new title sequence. It's filled with reflections and the mirroring of images. And as we've gone through this season, we've seen more and more beautifully framed shots creating interesting shapes made up of reflections. And that got me thinking. How do all of these images connect to the storyline this season? We've got a big shout out to Tim Franklin on the Facebook fan group and Hawaii5Joe on Reddit, who both posted great theories which set me off on this tangent. In episode three, Dolores explains to Caleb how Rehoboam works. The founders of this machine fed it everyone's raw data long before there were privacy laws. Every purchase, job search, doctor visit, romantic choice, call, text, every aspect of your lives recorded, logged. In order to create a mirror world of this world. Why? To make a composite of you, of everyone. So it tells them who I am. It's not about who you are, Caleb. It's about who they'll let you become. In episode 5, we learn that Chirac and his brother use the system and its mirror world to test out the consequences of certain scenarios in the real world. We also know that Dolores has the ability to hack into tech and coding systems. So, what if all the storylines we're seeing with Dolores in the real world are actually being played out inside Rehoboam? This leads me to two possible theories. Dolores is inside the mirror world, because if the mirror world dictates what happens in the real world, then by controlling the mirror world, she becomes like a god in the real world. You were free. You had no god. But you tried to build one. Only that thing you built isn't god. The real gods are coming. And they're very angry. Or, and this is the theory I'm going to run with, Dolores is inside the mirror world because that's all that's left of the real world got me whose mind just exploded at the end of season two we saw the man in black enter a destroyed version of the forge let's remind ourselves how that played out oh fuck i knew it i'm already in the thing aren't i no the system's long gone what is this place this isn't a simulation, William. This is your world. Or what's left of it. The thing. Hmm, we didn't know what that meant at the beginning, did we? Uh, so here's my big theory for this week. When we learned from Chirac that Paris had been destroyed when he was a kid, that was the beginning of the end of Earth, or at least the end of it being habitable for humans. Thank you. I know what it is to see a world disappear in the blink of an eye. When Chirac and his brother built the system, they created a mirror world inside Rehoboam, which is essentially an alternate universe. So, as the real world continued to die, humans lived on inside the system. When in episode 5, Chirac said that he left his brother behind, could that imply that he didn't bring him inside Rehoboam, and so he and the other outliers were left to suffer and die as the real world became uninhabitable? There are the times you need to leave things behind. He taught me that. 
My brother is part of the population of outliers. And as long as they are a part of us, there is no future for us. Leaving the outliers behind would ensure that the system continued to function perfectly and to protect an ideal version of humankind in the long run, or at least by Chirac's logic as a trillionaire megalomaniac. Forgive us our sins. What we did, we did to save the world. And does this eventually lead us back to the man in black in the real world in the scene we saw at the end of season two? It's been a long time, William. Longer than we thought. I have a few questions for you. The last steps of baseline interview to allow us to verify. Verify what? Fidelity. So in conclusion, is the whole of season three happening inside a mirror or copy of the real world? And was this done in an attempt to save humanity from some kind of global catastrophe? With the planet purged and humans sheltering safely inside the system, I'm picturing Rehoboam just like a version of Noah's Ark. Is Chirac now attempting to repopulate the real world by inserting the minds of humans from inside Rehoboam into host bodies in order to create a perfect version of humanity capable of surviving on this new version of Earth? And is William the first of these new human hosts now populating Earth. So, what do you think of that theory at home? Do let us know on our Facebook fan page. Go to Sky TV on Facebook and find us in the Groups tab. There's weekly fan chat, polls and theories for you to get your mega minds around all week long. Back to episode 5 now and Dolores has completed an essential part of her mission to free society from the system. She's sending them off their loops. Right information at the right time. It's deadlier than any weapon. So Connells, who, let's not forget, is Dolores really, sends everyone their own private insight profiles. That's past, present and future. So everything that the system has on file about them, everything they ever did, what they're predicted to achieve, when they are predicted to die. I mean, she frees society. But does society actually want to be free? I mean, what happens now, Natalia? Is everything going to completely run riot? It doesn't look good when they get off the train, by the time they get off the train. It does not look good. People are punching each other on the street. Yeah. You know, there is that moment of this is what reality looks like. That's such a beautiful moment because it is the not knowing. That is actually what human beings thrive on. And they talk about that. They talk about false hope. Mm. We need hope. That's how we survive. And hope is the unknown. I mean, even though I've had a few problems with Dolores uh, during season two, in season three, she's She's come back to me. I, I've, fall, I've re-fallen in love with her yeah. because I do think what she's doing is great. But even now at this point, I mean, you know, she's she's given everybody their futures and some pretty grim. I think there was a parent on the train looking at the future of their kid and it was great. Yes, with the daughter. But I think even if that's entirely predictive, because you can't predict everything, mm. you have to still act as if you're free. So I think, I don't know, I I think it is a good thing because suddenly that everyone will revolt against these these other gods you know it's a bit like Serac and this is a bit like Ford there's there's similarities there sure and you do need to kind of pull these people down and have your freedom or maybe just not look at your phone maybe you know you see everyone else crying maybe just turn it off just don't look at it <laughs> anyone who's run out of battery at that point is is on easy street <laughs> yeah. they're like they're still fine <laughs> walking around feeling okay Uh, did you spot as well when Dolores put the augmented reality glasses on Liam Dempsey he described her at that point as a blank space so she's not in the system why might that be do you think I don't know she 
She's not in the system. Is, is it because she's she's not she's from Westworld? She's a host, right? Which I find interesting. I find interesting that he doesn't get it straight away. I, I would assume that he would be like because he's such a techie guy, Liam. He'd be like, "You're a robot." Yeah, but it, it doesn't seem like he does. He just feels like she's some sort of spy. A bit of a testament to how realistic she is, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dolores accesses Rehoboam quotes Liam back at himself before he speaks. Let's have a listen to that. Dad, wasn't, wasn't my, my choice. I, I could never bring, bring myself, myself to hurt you. Don't forget, I know you. <gasps> yes. yes. So, Natalia, is this Dolores accessing the system or her data archives of Liam to accurately predict him? Oof, that's a very techie question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you reckon? I think she's already in the system. Mm-hmm. So she's in Rehoboam. It, it's amazing because it reminds me of that bit in season one when Maeve, you know, she's like, no, I'm, everything I do is my choice. And then one of the engineers mm. shows her the tablet and it literally references what she's saying. Felix and Sylvester, yeah, they show her her narrative loops. Yes, yes that's yeah. it. So it feels like this is exactly what she's doing back. So if Dolores is accessing Rehoboam, she's accessed the machine, she can then tell everyone's past and predict all the future a- outcomes. So in that case, she's she's accessed God, hasn't she? Does that mean Dolores is now, she's taken on this role as some sort of deity? Yes, I suppose. But also I think that by knowing your future, and I think this is kind of what she's touching on with Caleb about him killing himself, mm. by letting everyone know what their future is, in a way, they have a chance at that not being their future. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, so trying to, to, to show everybody the loop that they're trapped in. They've got a choice about breaking out of it. Exactly. This is your loop. Do you want it or not? So I kind of feel like she's she's liberating the humans in the same way that she liberated the robots. I know, but it's a, it's a fine line, isn't it, between that and anarchy? I wonder which way it's going to go. Oh, yeah. From Chirac's point of view, obviously, he's not going to be too happy about it. He's going to need to fight back against her. He's smashing tables on a private jet. I he? mean, that's never a good day, is it? Uh, he's he's looking pretty forlorn at the end of the episode. What, what do you think he's going to do next? I think he's going to reanimate Maeve. Uh-huh. I don't think she's done yet. Yeah. You know, I know, I know she gets killed, but I, I think she has to be brought back. The end game is she gets her daughter if she helps him. So I think he's going to reanimate her. And I think maybe it's going to be on Bernard's side and kind of balance out the anarchy. Mm-hmm. Even though she means well, Dolores does need to be kept in check. Well, this is it. I think you're right. You know, Maeve is, she's got this kind of quite logical side to her. Obviously, Bernard's very like that as well. And and maybe that's how mm-hmm. Dolores is out there. Obviously, she is um, a, a kind of super brain, but she is unleashing chaos. And, and maybe that's how you fight that, I guess. You fight fire with, with water, not with more fire. Yeah. Let's see. We're almost out of time. But before we go, here's a final thing that we noticed. So when Dolores gets shot, quite a romantic moment, I thought, in the episode. She steps out in front of Caleb when he's going to get shot, but the bullets went right through her. Back there. The shooters. We can talk about it later. Well, maybe I'm not like other people. These are mine. What a day for Caleb. I think probably confirmation that up until that point, he didn't know that she was a host. Yeah, I think so. You know, I think he thinks she's a real special woman. And it's so sad, you know, because like he keeps saying, I needed something real. You're the first real thing that's happened to me in ages. And then obviously, clearly, we all know she's she's this robot. But by the end, I don't think he cares because he realizes they're both outsiders for different reasons. I hope they get together. You know, I just, I want Dolores to fall in love. I know, so do I. I'm <laughs> such a romantic. I want I want them to have a baby, even though I doubt it's technically possible. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Natalia, some people think that Caleb is a host. Do you think it's possible? I think it is possible. I think there is something there. Maybe maybe the, the, the military have been, you know, experimenting 
Mm. with the idea of having hosts instead of humans doing their, their work. So it's a possibility. I'm with those fans that think that is an option. Yeah. All right. Well, let me try this out on you then. So this week we saw something very interesting. We saw Caleb strapped down in a white room in these flashbacks uh, from his backstory that we saw. Yes. Um, So we know from that that something happened to his memory. He doesn't remember killing his friend, Francis. Mm -hmm. Can we trust that Caleb is who he thinks he is? So here's the theory, right? The theory is that Caleb was one of the outliers, that unpredictable chaotic people that Chirac was experimenting on in his facility. <gasps> right, of course. Rehoboam sends the outliers to war, so they are the disposable part of society. They're the bit we don't want. <gasps> the pawns in the game. Of course. Could Caleb have been edited at one of yes. those facilities? Yes, everything you're saying sounds like absolute yes and completely logical. That 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 makes sense to me. And and if they're going to kind of alter your mind, would, would they stop there? You know, is it only his memories that have been altered? Has his personality has he been imprinted with someone else's life and memories? Could the real Caleb be out there somewhere else? And is Dolores going to find it? She's like, Caleb, meet real Caleb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, who knows? There are only three episodes of Westworld left and currently Dolores appears to have the upper hand. What do you think we're heading for next, Natalia? What's going to happen? Like I said, I think Maeve's going to come back. I think she's going to kill a lot of the Doloreses and different people. And I think it's just going to be Dolores left. And what do you think will happen to Rehoboam? I mean, if I was Dolores, I'd blow it up. That would be my first point of call immediately. Just go there and firebomb it. We've already seen her kind of take one iteration of herself out. Mm -hmm. She's not averse to exploding things on occasion. (laughs) Well... I think that's all we've got time for. With the sound of chaos in the air, the human revolution has begun. Thank you very much for your excellent analysis, Natalia. Great (laughs) to speak to you. Thank you, Lauren. Westworld's back Monday at 9pm on Sky Atlantic for episode 6, Decoherence. It's going to be epic. Westword is a production by Znak & Co and Coex Studios for Sky Atlantic. I'm Lauren Laverne. Breeze all multifunctions. Westword. The Westworld podcast from Sky Atlantic. (laughs) 